Welcome, welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. I am just delighted to be sitting across the screen from Sarah Baldwin, the owner of Bella Luna Toys. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jenny. It's it's so nice to be here. We uh, We have loved Bella Luna Toys for over a decade, not quite as long as you've been in business. Um, I I hear you're celebrating your 20th anniversary. Congrats. Yes, yes, we are. We are. Um, the company is 20 years old now. I did not own it for that length of time. Um, I, I think the company was started in 2002. So yes, that makes wow. the website 20 years old. Uh, but it was a tiny home-based website um, when I acquired it in 2009 and built it and grew it. Um, as, so it's really one of the oldest sources online for families for, for Waldorf inspired toys, art supplies, wow. crafts. That's um, incredible. And to correct you, I, I don't formal, formally own it anymore. I am still the president of Bella Luna Toys. Got it. But I, a year ago, we became um, part of the Haba family group, which is, um, if you're not familiar with Haba, it's a, an 80-year-old uh, company based in Germany who make wooden mm-hmm. toys that we've been selling for years. So it's it's uh, really helped us to expand and grow even further this year to get these kinds of toys introduced to more yeah. families around the world. That's fantastic. I am familiar with Haba. Those were some of our very first toys back um our oldest was born in uh, 2008. So we kind of, we probably, you know, that's about when I noticed you guys in Haba and uh, it's really exciting. It's uh, yeah. exciting uh, to, to get to meet you. So Thank you. Um, we have some of the Haba toys. They've got that Terra Kids line with all the outdoor fun and Yes, yes, yeah. And some of those early toys, I still have, you know, I have them packed in a bin. And when people come over with their younger kids, they're just timeless. You know, you pull them back out. And um, and so it's really special. Exactly. I, I always tell parents um, or, or when, you know, describing wooden toys, describing Waldorf-inspired toys, I always say they're, they're not throwaway toys. They're beautiful. They're right. quality. They're built to last for years. When your child outgrows them, People tend to even either, you know, put them away for for um, grandchildren or pass them on, but they're they're definitely uh, not throwaway toys. Right, right, and it's really a special thing to pull that bin out. And in fact, our older kids often ask, "Can we go get the bin of baby toys?" <laughs> you oh, <know? laughs> even still, because I think they inspire imagination, and and they're very much drawn to them. So, um, I'm thankful to have connected with you back when our kids were real small, and you know, we just kind of like what you talk about in your book. It's like we bought, you know, a, a small thing here and there. You know, we just added on here and there, and. Uh, it's neat to see how those those lasted. We have five kids, so they lasted through all five kids. And then when people bring their kids over, we still have them. So Yes, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's real special. Okay. So we'll have them for grandkids, too. All right, let me tell people a little bit about you. You're the mother of two adult children. Um, you were an early childhood educator and Waldorf kindergarten teacher for many years before you bought Bella Luna Toys. Uh, and now you are the president. That's uh, fantastic. Your mission is to help bring Waldorf education and toys to the general public at large. You were the first person to introduce. Oh, we have one of your rocker boards. We have uh, two, actually. To introduce 
introduced racquetboards boards and several other Waldorf-inspired toys to the mainstream world. Um, you have a fantastic YouTube channel called Sunday with Sarah that you had for over 10 years of videos on there um, where you cover a wide breadth of Waldorf-related topics. I saw a bunch of them. Um, it was about, you know, what's the difference between Waldorf and Montessori? There were some fantastic things on there. I've been seen by hundreds of thousands of people. So you have that YouTube channel with tons of subscribers and also a book, Nurturing Children and Families, that focuses on your experience as a Waldorf teacher, which I read this past week and loved. Uh, and then you have this really neat history. Um, and also you were an actress. <laughs> I was, I was. So I, I've kind of had three primary careers in my life. I started out, uh, I think I was in my first play when I was in third grade and knew that's I wanted to be an actress when I grew up and uh, pursued theater in college. I worked um, in New York for 10 years. And then, um, then I had my first child and uh, everything changed. All my priorities in life changed. And um, I, you know, I thought I would go back to acting, um, but I was so enjoying you know, being at home with my baby. And I'd always thought about teaching um, as well. And so I, you know, when I was home with, with my firstborn, I thought about going back to school to teach. I wasn't sure what I wanted to teach, what grade level, where. Uh, and then I discovered Waldorf education, uh, presumably for my son, you know, thinking about, about preschool for him. I went to visit the Pasadena Waldorf School. We were living in Los Angeles at the time. And I walked into that kindergarten and I just fell in love with this environment. Mm. Something in me just, I just knew this was the right environment for young children. I saw little wool slippers all lined up. I smelled the freshly baked bread. They were baking bread and little teacups and uh, just this beautiful room. And, And watching the children play outside, their play just seemed so healthy and different um, I had been assisting in a in a mainstream preschool at the same time, and I thought this these children are playing so differently than what I am used to. What I was used to was uh, children playing, acting out what they'd seen on TV or on videos or movies. That was kind of all they could play. Um, you know, at that time it was Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers, and mm-hmm. and the girls were all playing. Wizard of Oz, because that had just been re-released on video. At the Waldorf School, watching the children play outside, there I saw girls and boys playing together, and uh, their play was so fluid. You know, now they're they're knights and dragons, and now they're firefighters. So it was a real aha moment for me. I thought, wow, this is where I want to teach. And I I was there, as I said, presumably for an interview for my son to possibly start kindergarten there. And I asked the teacher, how do you become a Waldorf teacher? Where can you do the training? Wow. And uh, I ended up enrolling in in a part-time Waldorf teacher training in Los Angeles before my son even started in the kindergarten there. But that was was life-changing for me. So teaching teaching was my second career. Mm -hmm. But I found that because my background in theater and as an actress really... uh, it didn't feel like a career change as much as a career progression because in Waldorf 
there's so much storytelling mm. and right. um, circle time and singing. The arts are incorporated into everything. So um, that led me to doing my first uh, teaching job in a Waldorf school was teaching parent-child classes for parent who people who aren't familiar. It's like a play group. Uh, a parent comes with a child uh, uh, and um, spends a couple of hours. So because of my background as a performer, I felt comfortable in front of adults and, you know, singing in front of adults or telling stories. Yeah. Uh, and it was so rewarding for me uh, because it just, uh, you know, if you try to pursue an acting career, it's so much rejection. It's so much you're judged on how you look. Mm. It's so superficial. And suddenly I felt like I was, I was using my talents for, for a much higher purpose and, yes. and really felt like I found my life's path. Mm -hmm. That is beautiful. And then, <laughs> and then on to owning a toy yeah, store so and now the president. Yeah. So after 10 years teaching at a small Waldorf school up here in Maine, where I live, um, uh, I was, I was, again, I was, I was uh, approaching 50 years old and, and just feeling restless again, like I was ready for a change in my life. Um, but at the same time, uh, our school's enrollment had dropped that year, and they were going to have to eliminate one early childhood class. And um, since I was kind of feeling this restlessness, I, I, I volunteered to, to step oh. back and um, not knowing what I would do next. I didn't wow. know how I would replace wow. my income, but uh, it was just kind of a leap of faith and um, and uh, because I had a colleague who was in danger of losing her class and her job, and she was newer to teaching. She really, she was just starting her career. Didn't, uh, anyway, it just, whatever, my intuition mm -hmm. just told me it's, maybe this is an opportunity and a time to step wow. back. So I really, I, I, I stepped back without knowing what I would do next. And it was almost as soon as I made that decision that, um, I got a newsletter. Uh, it was for Waldorf homeschoolers, and uh, that had an announcement that Bella Luna Toys, the website, was for sale. And I knew of the website because, uh, as I said, it's one of the oldest sources for online for for Waldorf school supplies. And even though I had no prior experience in business, um, and never, never in my life did I ever dream of owning a business, not on my radar. I was an artist. I wasn't a mm -hmm. business person. Um, but I thought about it. I thought, oh, well, you know, here's something I could do from home. It started as a small home-based business. I could do it part-time um, at home. But I kept talking myself out of it. Well, you have no experience in business and wow. I, or in retail or e-commerce and um but wow. I knew I knew these toys, and I was passionate about these toys and their benefits for children. And I knew through my work with parents, um, I I knew from the beginning I didn't just want a website just to sell stuff, toys or whatever. I wanted to use it as a platform to share my knowledge, to share my love of Waldorf education, most importantly to wow. to support families with young children. Um, wow. And you sure did do that. You sure I, did. <laughs> you know, that is, you know, of course you have the toys, but it is 
it is this, um, it's a lifestyle, it's informative, it's inspiring. It's different than if you would have just gone to Toys R Us. There's this whole package there uh, beyond beyond the difference in the toys, but also you you feel it permeating through this love of life, this love of children, this love of community. That's fantastic. That's so nice to, to hear that that's your perspective because that that is my goal. And mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think... So soon after, um, you know, I acquired the website and boy, if I knew then, if I knew how much I didn't know, (laughs) I probably would have been way too scared to take the plunge. But um, I've learned so much over the years, but fairly soon after acquiring the website, started a blog called Moonchild. That's it. You can find it at uh, moonchildblog.com. If you also put in Sarah Baldwin, Sarah with an H.com, those, those are kind of archived. Those are my older blog posts. We now have a blog right on Bella Luna Toys website uh, with a lot of new content. Um, but yeah, I started the blog. And then I think it was about 2010 when I started the Sunday with Sarah YouTube channel. And, um, and uh, you know, it's, it's really my passion. It's not, you know, I'm not there to sell toys. I'm there to, to, yeah, as I said, support parents and and um, educate parents about the especially the vital importance of imaginative play and outdoor play. And as I said to you uh, ahead of time, I so wish that these podcasts, all all this, when I was a young mother uh, and discovering Waldorf education, there was no Facebook. There was no. I mean, the internet was in its infancy. There was, uh, it's called the St. John's Listserv. It was, you know, just a, a group of people interested in Waldorf education uh, on a, you know, basically a, a bulletin board sharing back and forth. That was it. I felt yeah. so isolated as a young mother interested in Waldorf education, which to, you know, my friends just seemed like a wacky, crunchy, far out thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, gosh, how, how, how lucky parents are today to have so, so many resources at their fingertips and so much information that you can pick and choose from, you know, it's a Waldorf school is not for everyone. I mean, for one, it's not a great fit for many reasons, for one reason or another, or there may not be a Waldorf school near you, or you just can't afford it, which is true for many. But now, you know, you can, you can homeschool using Waldorf um, influences. Uh, you can, what, one of my first teachers in teacher training, I remember said, uh, take, take what you need and leave the rest, you know, take what makes sense to you. It's, there's, there are a lot of misconceptions about Waldorf education. And, and one is that it's very rigid and dogmatic. And, and part of my mission through my work has been to, to kind of dispel those myths and right. it's not a one size fits all. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's sad to me that it's, it's gotten this, this reputation. Mm. Um, but as a, as a family, even if your child doesn't go to a Waldorf school, you can learn what you can read books, right. incorporate the elements that speak to you that that makes sense, whether it's lighting a candle before a meal or 
saying a little verse, thanking, it could be thanking God or it could be thanking the earth for your food and the abundance and bringing in these little practices that inspire awe and reverence. Mm -hmm. And really importantly, making sure your child is outside as much as possible uh, in their childhoods. And, yeah. you know, I advocate like most Waldorf educators for, for really limiting screen time for as long as possible. Mm. That's an that's an interesting piece of it. So my experience with Waldorf School and actually my introduction to your toys was through my midwife and people joke around that I talk about my midwife too much. Uh, but she was my she was my gateway into is a different way of living. And her her sons went to the Waldorf school that's closest to us. We're in Michigan. And there's a Rudolph Steiner school in Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan. And so her sons went for a bit there. And so I went to some sort of a holiday craft. Um, I don't quite know. There was a name for it. And it was, mu- it was, it was beautiful. You know, sort of like you said, Sarah, about you just stepped into the room and, and you just kind of felt like, oh, you know, this feels right. Yeah. You know, so to have that experience and I went once and I saw the kindergarten classroom and just said the muted tones and the, the lovely environment, you know, and um, and the music playing and the different kind of toys. And so it was very eye opening. I think sometimes we don't even know what's out there in terms of you know, different choices that we can make or different ways yes. that we could live and these different yes. principles. And so, you know, we had in our family taken a few of the principles, like I think one of them is at birth to eight, these sort of stages, you know, the wonder yes. years and, yes. and just a few of the, the rhythms and things. So let's, let's talk about some of the things that people can grab from the Waldorf philosophy. And you talked about some of them, like lighting a candle or infusing them into your home. So one of the things that really caught my attention are, are these rhythms. Yes. So tell us about how important that is in the Waldorf education and how we can infuse that into our homes. Yes. Yeah. Well, rhythm is so important, um, especially in the early childhood years, birth, birth to seven, Rudolf Steiner, the founder of Waldorf education, talked about these seven year cycles and it's not hmm. just through childhood it goes on through our lives. If you look at the years, wow. those, the, and I did, wow. I have, I have a video uh, you can find in the, Sunday with Sarah YouTube channel called Seven Year Cycles that explains more about it. Um, but in that fir- the first seven years, rhythm it is the secret to uh, a peaceful home life, uh, to successful parenting. It's healthy for children. It's healthy for adults. You think about the human being. We are rhythmic beings. You know, our breath is rhythmic, our heartbeat, um, and what does this mean exactly? We, we talk in Waldorf education about rhythm of the day, uh, rhythm of the week, and uh, seasonal rhythms and rhythms of the year. And the more some people, um, you know, think of it as uh, routine, but um, but the rhythm of the day is just you know having regular meal times, uh, regular bedtimes. Um, and think about young children, they can't really, they don't know how to tell, they don't know the days of the week yet or how to tell Mm -hmm. time. So, uh, in Waldorf education, you, you know, we would talk about the days of the week according to the 
snack or meal we would have that day. Monday was a rice day. Tuesday was soup day. Wednesday was um, bread day, what have you that, that, and when one follows the next and you're having the same snack every day, that gives children a context for the rhythm of the week. Mm -hmm. And the rhythm of the day would be the same. You know, we'd start, um, uh, you know, could start the day indoors or outdoors and then followed by the same rhythm, uh, each day, you know, outdoor play is followed by indoor rest time, followed by indoor play, followed by snack. And, and that's the same every day. And the, the, the beauty of rhythm is it just gives young children, um, it relieves a lot of anxiety. Yeah. It gives them confidence when they know what to expect next. When our days are hectic and chaotic and one day is not like the other, Children feel very anxious and um, uh, when they don't know what to expect. Mm. So um, that's kind of like daily rhythm and weekly rhythm where, where in, this was how it was in the kindergarten, but you can easily do this at home. That Monday we go grocery shopping, Tuesday we go to the park, um, uh, et cetera. You know, Wednesday is wash day um, mm-hmm. and um and then as a parent, that makes it so much easier for you than going, oh, what, a, you know, what, what's true? What are we going to do today? Yeah, yeah. What has to be yeah. done? What am I behind on? Yeah. Um, the, the, the more time we can allow for things, the less we have to rush, the less we have to plan. And mm-hmm. I even suggest that you can even do uh, have a weekly rhythm for your meals, whether it's it's lunch or, or dinner, even dinner for some families. You know, Monday is taco night. Tuesday is pasta. Then you always know mm-hmm. what to what to buy, what you need at the supermarket. And for children, it, it just that, that yeah. rhythm, as I said, gives so much confidence. Right. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. 
AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. A couple of the things I grabbed from your book, uh, which I loved, which is an interesting book. It's um, Nurturing Children and Families. It's it's a lot about how you helped um, Waldorf schools bring in families, right? And yes. Them, uh, parents along with their children. So you talk a lot about community in here. It's a beautiful book. Uh, when it, with, the, with the rhythm, a couple of the things that stuck out to me, which I thought were really special was you talked about how you'd have these circle times and sometimes, but then in time, they were absorbing it and singing the songs. So I thought that was encouraging to families that maybe you're doing these things and it seems like maybe your kids are not participating like how you would think that they would be. But you say they're participating fully inward, inwardly and taking everything in unbeknownst to us. Yes, yes, yes. It's so true. And uh, yeah, I think when I taught these parent-child classes, parents would get very anxious if if their child didn't participate, didn't want to sit in a circle, which a lot of children don't. I think <laughs> I'm thinking now of Erica, who's who's our uh, customer care manager at Bella Luna Toys, who I have known for more than 20 years. Her her identical twin daughters would come to my parent-child class. 20 years ago, they're, they're grown, beautiful young women now. Um, but Erica would get all stressed out because I'd be telling a story in a corner and her girls would be, uh, you know, banging pots and pans in the, uh, in, in the play kitchen. And, um, and I always tried to reassure parents just, you know, don't, don't worry. But then you'd hear the stories from these parents, you know, they would leave the class and, convinced that their their child wasn't interested, wasn't paying any attention, wow. get in the car and start singing all the songs that I've been singing in the class. And it's also important to keep in mind, children mm. are so observant, even when we think they're not paying attention to us, they are, they don't miss a thing. So, you know, if, if you're on your phone, a lot of the time during the day, you know, your children are observing that even if they you know, they seem to be playing and they are creatures of imitation. Children learn through imitation, imitating adults in their life. So I think it's really important to be mindful of being present for our children, being mindful of what our children are observing us do. The more they can observe us doing like purposeful, meaningful work, the more they were present and they see us yeah, engaged. That's really, the more that's really inspiring. Um, I liked what you talked about as well with singing. There was a couple interesting things in your book that I hadn't thought of before, hadn't heard before. One of them was that people used to do their work to rhythmic songs. And so this is an age old thing. You know, I, I hadn't really thought of that, um, but but such an important thing for rhythm. And also uh, you had in there about singing is beneficial breath work for the expectant mother 
in preparation for childbirth. So part of rhythm and, mm-hmm. and this rhythmic way of life is including songs or verses. Um, so that's something that you do in the Waldorf classroom, but also something you could easily adapt to at home. There was a book you talked about that you sell on Bella Luna Toys. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, I highly, highly encourage singing with your children. Even if you think you can't mm-hmm. sing, even if you think you can't carry a tune, your children are just, it's, will so appreciate it. Hearing your voice from your heart, you know, and not from a recording, not from electronic device. Mm-hmm. Children need to know that humans make music, humans play instruments, human, the human voice is an instrument. And, you know, too often children just think that music comes from an electronic device. And uh, yes, you're right. In the, in the past, people, it was common, you know, people, farmers sang in the field, sailors sing sea shantings, hoisting the sail. It helps, uh, it helps the spirit when you're working and, um, and, and yeah, it helps the breath. And, and we do sell, we sell, we sell a series of songbooks um, for parents at Bella Luna Toys. It's, it's a series called Naturally You Can Sing. And one of the, my favorites is the book called uh, This is the Way We Wash a Day that has lots of songs that you can sing through daily activities with your child. In a Waldorf kindergarten, we sing all morning long. There's a, a song I have for kneading bread or um, uh, mm-hmm. when we're painting and also through transition times. Um, uh, you know, during, uh, when it's time to clean up, um, I often give this example when I taught in a mainstream preschool, I remember it's the end of outdoor playtime and it's getting, it's almost cleanup time. And the teacher would yell five minutes till clean up. And (laughs) number one, as I said earlier, Mm. children don't know how to tell time. They don't know what five minute means. They just know they are jarred out of their Mm play, their imaginative play they've been engrossed in, and they're likely to kind of act out and rebel, um, as probably any of us would when we're jarred out of uh, our concentration. Um, Rather, in a Waldorf school, we would, you know, when it's time to start cleanup, I would just start quietly folding silks or putting things away and and just sing a little song. One of the songs I say, I'm like, tick, tock, goes the clock. What does it have to say? Time for us to pick up our toys and put them all away. Yeah. And you just think about the difference. Like, you know, a child hears that in the background. So they know they can finish up their story. They can finish up what they're doing. And I just, you know, and then, and then I might like hand a child uh, a silk or ask them, Mm quietly, you know, can you gather all the pine cones and put them That's in a so basket? That's so beautiful, Sarah. Wow. Um, and that was so, so beautiful. Yeah, singing through you the day. A, and you have a YouTube video on oh. it. Oh. <laughs> yes, I think there's a video on, on transitions. Five verses to sing throughout the day with children. That was yes. so beautiful. Yes, yeah. You know what's interesting to me about it? And I have a couple. You had um, a blog post with some of your favorite books. And I had a couple of them. I have Beyond the Rainbow Bridge and Heaven on Earth. Mm. Um, so a couple of the ones that you suggested. But what's interesting about it is I think that as a society, as parents, you know, that these early childhood years, you kind of fear them. Um, they're very hard. and 
and you feel overwhelmed and like you don't really know what you're doing. But then you pick up books like these or you hear a little song like you just sang and you think, oh, these are years to be cherished. They are. Yes. Yeah. If you They're think really these special. are, if you think these years are hard to wait till you get to the teenage years. <laughs> <laughs> for most oh. parents, you know, you then you long for those days. Yeah. But I hear what you're saying, and I remember that. And I, I always say, you know, when, when your children are in those early childhood years, like birth to seven, as we were talking about, sometimes those years seem interminable. Like, well, you know, will my child ever be old enough to start school and I can send them off and have some time to myself? And then they get to, they finally get to grade school and then boom, 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 those years just fly yeah. by so quickly. They're in first grade, they're in third grade, they're in graduating from eighth grade there in high school, it, it, then it, it, the years just speed up. Right. And um, yeah, I'm here to tell you now, my, my kids are now 27 and 30. My older son is married and uh, just, I know they're hard. I know the days seem long. I think I heard an expression once that said in the early years, the, the days seem like years and they mm. grow, the more they grow up, the years go by like days. Right. Um, so when, when you're feeling overwhelmed, just stop and, and, and breathe, just be present. Um, one of my favorite quotes I heard recently is like, when, when, when we're doing, we're not being. Hmm. So if we can do less and be more and, and just cherish these days, which are so short. And, you know, the other thing, one of my other favorite quotes was from a woman named Jill Churchill, who said, there is no way to be a perfect parent, but there are a million ways to be a good one. Yeah. And just remember, you are, you are good enough. We're all doing our best. We learn along the way. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to feel, to beat us up, beat ourselves up for, for mistakes we think we're, made, we're making, but um, we're all in this together. And, and I, I really believe so firmly in the adage, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. It really does. We were not meant to um, raise children in nuclear families in isolation, I believe. And we, we were, as humans, we were designed to have mothers and aunts and grandparents and, and um, yeah. friends and sisters. And so, so yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And so many of us live isolated from family. So we have to make our own communities. Mm -hmm. And that was my book was kind of about how you, how one can create um, a Waldorf inspired play group with like-minded people um, or, you know, whether, whether find, find those like-minded um, people and just, you know, make, make your own community. And, and uh, it's, it's so important mm -hmm. for mothers and, and fathers and for children. Right. I like what you said for community. You said something about, and sometimes this is needed more for the parents. You said more often than not, it is the parents who are in greater need of socializing. And I sure agree with you on that. You know, and I found that you don't have, it doesn't have to be huge. If you can find just two or three other families. In fact, I just was reading a book um, recently called The Kindred Farm or maybe The Kindred Life. I, <laughs> I just got it. So sorry to the author. Uh, but she was talking about how she had her first baby and she had one friend that lived down the street and they both had babies around the same time. And so she said, they would text, I need help. 
you know, help me. Yes. And we had that, you know, and I had, we had two under two and we had a neighbor that had, you know, kids that were somewhat similar in age. And, you know, it would be like, I made extra, you know, baked spaghetti. Can I bring you some? And, you know, just to have that. And it doesn't have to be spectacular or large, just a person or two. Yes. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And um, yeah, I was when I remember when I became a mother for the first time, I lived in New York City and um, and none of my well, I came out of the theater world, as I told you, most of my friends were actors and and um, I was the first among my group of friends to have a child. And my husband worked uh, in Manhattan. He was gone for long, long hours, like yeah. worked 12 hours a day or more. I wouldn't, and I was just home alone with this baby. And I, I had no family around. I knew no one. Mm-hmm. And um, it's actually in, in Brooklyn. And um, at that time, someone started a group called the Moms Club. I don't even know if it still exists. Moms helping other moms. It does. It does. does it? I was a part, or at least it did when my kids were lo- younger because I yes. was a part of it. It's an acronym, right? Yes. Mom moms club. helping other moms support or something. Something like, yeah. 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 So there was a first, me- I felt so lucky. There was a first meeting in my neighborhood of the moms club. And there I met my friend, Joanne, who's still my friend 30 years later. Wow. Her daughter was born like less than 12 hours before my son. So we were first time moms with babies the same age and, and we are um, lifelong friends. I've moved Mm -hmm. away, I've moved, but uh, we still stay in touch. It's just even one, just one one. friend to, Mm -hmm. to call, to support. It's like how, or, and then we, then we started a little um, kind of babysitting co-op and then we had a play group of four or five of us. And, you know, it's like, I've got a dentist appointment. Can you take my baby? And, Mm -hmm. Um, that's, yeah. that's, that's our village. We have to make it our is. own villages sometimes. Yes. And I was just talking to, um, this, his name is Dr. Michael Rucker and he talks about fun, the science of fun. Mm. And how we have to have some fun infused in our life. And he, you know, he talked about how that looks different from person to person. Some people are high thrill and some people are low thrill and fine to just sit and read a book. But he was talking about how sometimes if you put in that little bit of extra effort and you have this community and you swap, you know, that you do what you're talking about, which is, you know, can we switch kids and, and do this little bit of a babysitting thing once a month? Or, you know, he talked about how impactful that can be, even if you just get a couple hours yeah. to go salsa dancing or to yes. go get a massage. And then oftentimes, this is what we found, we have five kids. It's easier to have my friend's five kids and yeah. have 10 kids than it is to just have my own five. Because you talk a lot about multi-age play, but when all of these kids get together, you know, it would be hard to have two infants, certainly. But once yes. they get to be about that toddler age and they're, they're you know, playing together, sometimes yes. it's easier to bring in like a cousin or, a you know, a neighborhood friend. And then they're entertaining each other. Um, so it's counterintuitive a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that makes total sense to me. You know, a lot of Waldorf teachers feel like a, a bigger class is often better than, a, you know, you, a parent might think, oh, the smaller the class, the more, but the bigger the class, the more social opportunities are, the more uh, engaged the children become mm-hmm. with each other. And you talk about that. You say young children learn to play through observing the older children being left alone to observe other children playing is the best way to learn. Mm, yes. Wow. 
Yes, that's why I, um, I, I'm really in favor. Well, when we say a kindergarten in Waldorf education, it's almost always a mixed age kindergarten. Traditionally, it's been ages four to six. Hmm. But uh, at our school, we, we eventually incorporated three-year-olds. Uh, so it's three to six. So most people think of, of kindergartens as being, you know, the year age five to six. Right. Um, um, but yes, exactly that. The, the younger children learn so much watching the older children play. The older ones then need to learn to be nurturing and caring mm-hmm. of the younger ones and helping the younger ones. And, you know, nowhere else in life do we segregate people by age group in a family. We don't, you know, <laughs> and uh, in, in society at large, I, I um there've also been studies done in schools that are either K through eight or even better, like K through 12, like some Waldorf schools are. And um, yeah, it, it just brings more balance. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, one of the worst ideas is like whoever thought of middle school or junior high school segregating, you know, the mm-hmm. kids in that age group, maybe the hardest ages of, of, of childhood, you know, right, 12, right. 12 to 14 and, and not having, not having yeah, younger ones, little ones, and, little and, ones do something for your soul. Oh yeah, you know, I remember yeah. being twelve and working in little kids' class. I loved the three-year-olds. I got pictures. You know, I just remember I had a little kid named Ben in one of my classes at the church. You know, for summer programs or things, and um, they do. They kind of light you up, and and we segregate even as as people get older as well. So um, yes, indeed, yes, continues on, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the mixed age play, it's like you bring in these elements and I think they, what they do is they help you to cherish and, and to thrive during those years, which are so demanding um, physically and emotionally that that we haven't even touched on toys yet, Sarah. Oh my gosh. Let's go there. <laughs> you know, I, I, <laughs> so I'm going to tell you my first, um, I'd never thought about toys and this was before I even had children. I worked in the public schools and um, I, I overheard someone say, I heard this program on NPR that these battery operated toys um, are teaching kids to want to have instant gratification. Mm. And, you know, and then there was something like 75% of toys these days are have computer chips. And so I'd never thought about it before. And then I heard that statement and it made me think about just the category of toys and that, you know, maybe there is a little bit of, um, you know, different decision making that goes into it than just, you know, I'm going to run to Target and pick whatever is off the shelf that mm-hmm. there's something to it. So mm-hmm. can you talk to us a, a little bit about the purpose of toys for children and how do we pick and what should we be looking for? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Interesting. You should mention that about the battery operated toys, because when I took over Bella Luna Toys 2009, the rage then was battery operated toys that do computing or teach children to program for you, these high tech toys. So it was one of the things that I almost talked myself out of doing Bella Luna Toys. Like, oh, you know, nobody wants these old fashioned toys. Everyone wants these high tech toys. But over the last 
10, 13 years, I've just, we've seen this shift mm-hmm. away that people have become disillusioned with those high-tech battery-operated toys. And they're turning more back to traditional toys, like the ones a lot of us had in childhood. Mm-hmm. So pe- people often ask, you know, what, 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 what makes a toy Waldorf? What's a Waldorf toy? Well, first of all, it's made of all natural materials, so, um, wood, or silk, we use a, um, one of the, the most quintessential Waldorf toys are play silks. Um, at Bella Luna, we carry silks from Sarah's silks. They're just big squares of colored silk. Sometimes adults go, how is this a toy? Well, the children, if you watch children play with them, they use them for dress up. They can become a cape or a veil or, or a belt to hold a pirate sword. Um, and they also a use picnic, a picnic, yes, blanket, right. A mm-hmm. picnic blanket, a baby blanket, or they become part of a landscape. You know, a green silk becomes a grassy meadow and a blue silk becomes a pond and they use their little wooden animals to create these whole landscapes. So, so the idea is, you know, um, we're looking for toys that really uh, engage a child's imagination that, that aren't so fully formed, that are open-ended, which is not just a Waldorf term, but in early childhood is widely acknowledged to be the best kind of toys, open-ended toys. What does that mean? It means a toy can be lots of different things. It's not just played with one way. And some of the best open-ended toys are free and, uh, you know, pine, a basket of pine cones, a basket of seashells, um, you know, little shells can become money or they be, can become play food or the, um, a basket of, of river stones. Um, baskets are wonderful for, for collecting and keeping things neat and organized and, and they look beautiful. They, they make, they look peaceful in, in a room. Mm. They sure and, do. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's something about that, those natural materials and the colors. You talked about doll play, a full-size cradle or doll carriage. And and that kitchen play is one of the most um, sought-after play stations. Yes, yes, yeah. For our 20-year anniversary at Bella Luna Toys, we've been doing a promotion. Uh, There's a sale going on right now um, uh, of the 20 quintessential Waldorf toys and a Mm. Um, before I mention, I'm not sure that our play kitchen is in that sale, but, uh, (laughs) but it's a quint, you know, in in my mind, like one of the most important, uh, toys, because as I said earlier, children are imitating the, the work of adults in their life. And, um, if you can have a play kitchen in your kitchen near your real stove, you know, child can pretend to, to play and cook while you're cooking, but um, when I taught parent-child classes and later when I taught a kindergarten class of three to six-year-olds, that play kitchen corner was always so busy, had a little play stove with a play sink, um, little table and chairs. And, um, you know, you know most, most children, you know, spend a lot of time in the kitchen for, mm-hmm. and, and having your child, you know, help you prepare in meals or going, there's so much they could do starting from an early age. I think a lot of parents don't, um, don't expect enough, you know, or we're used to doing everything for our children, but, you know, from an early age, they can learn to set the table. Um, 
they can help chop vegetables. At Bella Luna, mm. we sell these little crinkle cutters that I always used in my classroom. They're like, it's a wavy like French fry cutter, but they're mm. not sharp. And a child can help cut apples or carrots. And it makes them feel, it gives them confidence. It's teaching them real life skills. Um, uh, and, and, you know, something I'm, I highly encourage. But, um, but you also mentioned the doll cradle, because I'd forgotten just a bit about that. If, uh, for, for really young ones, if you can find like an antique full-size doll cradle, children love to, to get in them and, um, mm. you know, as well as put their dolls yeah. in them. Yeah. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops' price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code OUTSIDE120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code OUTSIDE120 at goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120 code OUTSIDE120. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. Yeah, it's interesting you use the phrase old-fashioned toys. And I know one of the books that you sell is Kim John Payne's Simplicity Parenting mm-hmm. book. And he's, he's talked so much about how you know, what feels old fashioned is really preparing our kids for the future. Yes. That it's not a step backwards because this is helping them to be adaptable and flexible and creative. And those are the skills that they're going to need 
you know, in, in the world that they're going to step into as adults. So I, I like that. I like that you called them that old fashioned toys, because I think that is what a lot of families are looking for is looking back toward what are the things that allow children to have imaginary play and, you know, and you get, you have so many great examples, stick horses and a small wagon for pulling. And that would even be good for their um, proprioception sense, you know, that pulling on the, um, on the joints and. It's teaching them physics. It's an uh-huh. early physics lesson for right. reels and, and, and pulling, pulling and pushing toys are great for toddlers. Right. And you talked about even this domestic arts, which is in your book as well about, you know, and I would imagine this is helping with all of their fine motor, you know, the washing placemats and napkins and hanging them to dry, you know, using a washboard or these different ways that we can include them with the little cutting and the crinkle. The crinkle cutters are cute. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. And they make the food look cute. Yes, they they cut they cut the veggies in a wavy shape. That's that's fun for children. But one thing we didn't talk about is sensor the sensory experience. Mm. So one reason we use uh, natural materials, toys made of natural, they feel good. Rudolf Steiner described the young child as I think in one place he described the young child as fully sense organ. They are learning about the world. They've just come into the world. They are discovering the world through all their senses. <clears throat> As adults, we tend to just like look at something and go, oh, coffee mug, you know, you just, mm-hmm. but a young child who hasn't, you know, they're, they're feeling everything, they're touching it, they're smelling it. So mm. when you think about the toys you introduce to your young child, it's like, how is it, is it going to nurture their sense of touch? Is it going to feel good? How does it smell? You know, plastic toys can smell pretty funky. Um and then, but then those, with those domestic arts, uh, washing, washing uh, placemats with a, a washboard and the warm soapy water, that's, that's nourishing all their senses, which is, is also very important mm. for young children. Yeah. And I think with the open-ended play, what's interesting that I found as a parent is, you know, these toys are more expensive but they last longer. And by last longer, obviously, physically, they last longer, right? These are typically heirloom quality. You could pass them down for generations mm-hmm. a lot of the times, but they last longer in terms of imagination. So you don't need as many. You know, it's uh, like you yes. buy a certain a toy that's based off of a television show. Well, they're bored with it after a couple of days. So you feel like you have to get another one, you know? And yes. so, but with these, they, it, it, because it draws out their imagination, you know, they can play with those rocker boards and they can do all sorts of things with them, use them as a ramp and lay on them and read a book and try and balance. And and there's so many different things that they can do with the toys. Mm -hmm. But, you know, yes, I I think, you know, some people feel like these toys are expensive at Bella Luna. We try to really carry a wide range of price points for families Mm -hmm. with different income levels to make, quality toys available to everyone. As I said earlier, you don't need to spend a lot of money. Sticks and pine cones and stones and shells are wonderful toys. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what was I going to say about that? Um, uh, oh, but so I, I, in the early days, I felt kind of apologetic about the prices of some of our toys. You know, they're a lot of them, are, they're handmade, they're hand painted, they're imported from Germany. They do cost more. As you say, they do last a lifetime. They're, they're not throwaway toys. But then I went to uh, take, uh, I was visiting my godson in California and 
here I own this toy store. I forgot to bring a gift with me. Like I could have brought him a toy. (laughs) Well, I took him to his neighborhood toy store. What he really, really wanted was a Star Wars Lego set. And I was shocked by the prices. What you're paying for is the licensing fee. You're paying for, you know, Lego to use use the Mm -hmm. Star Wars name and images. And I thought, I'm not going to, you know. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. And the best, the best Lego toys are the ones that are nondescript. Those are the ones that they use over and over again. Because, because with that Star Wars set, you can put it together one way and then, you know, it comes apart and you lose it, but you can never put it together again. Mm -hmm. So I always recommend once they've built that one thing, taking away all those little specialty parts, just leave the basic bricks. Mm -hmm. My kids had Legos, you know, um, you know, I always say to parents, it's, it's not a judgment. If you have plastic toys in your home, well, so did I. Uh, it's not about good toy versus bad toy. It's about bringing new awareness when you choose a toy for your child, you know, thinking about, does it nourish the senses? How, how was it made? You know, who made it and how, you know, was it fairly made? And what's going to happen to it when it's outlived its mm-hmm. life? Is it going to sit in a landfill for hundreds or thousands of years? Um without disintegrating. And there's a lot, there's a lot to think about, which is, you know, will it help my child be more imaginative Mm -hmm. in the future? And I think that that helps parenting, you know, that I think Kim John Payne talks about that, that, you know, creativity is the best babysitter, you know, in the long run. And it takes a while for a child to maybe learn those different things and to be able to work through those stages of boredom. But in the long run, you know, this is helping them in, in an immense amount of ways. So it's good. It's good, like you said, just to think about the toys and when we're making those decisions. And um, I think my point was that you don't even need a whole lot of them often. No. In fact, most parents have, most families have too many toys. And yes, I know we <laughs> I have a toy company, and um, but most children have too many toys. I've talked a lot. Um, I also do an Instagram live, a weekly event answering parents questions live. It's um, usually on Fridays at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 Pacific time. Um, But I talked in one of my recent ones about toy rotation and Mm -hmm. um, putting some of the toys away in a closet, attic, basement, and rotating and bringing them out. I think Kim John Payne has talked about this too. Going through your child's bedroom or playroom, having just a few carefully chosen books, a few toys, when children have too many toys, they get overstimulated and overwhelmed. And then when you rotate them, you take some, put them away. It's like all Christmas, you know, all these mm-hmm. new toys they haven't seen before, haven't seen for a while. Um, uh, yeah, really, really want to avoid that overstimulation of just having, having mm-hmm. a child having right. too many and toys. And if you if, walked, if you walked into a Waldorf kindergarten classroom, you would see that, there's space, there's, yes, you know, there's, um, there's a beautiful environment. It's not cluttered. So these are the types of principles that if we can infuse them into our home, they just make everything a little easier and a little more enjoyable and a little more magic and, and all of those things. You had this beautiful quote from Plato, um, Mm. uh, the most, do you want to say it? Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yes. The most effective. Okay. Well, how about you? Because you, Because you got that enchanting voice. Oh, no. Well, (laughs) thank you. Um, The most effective form of education is that a child should play amongst lovely things. 
That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, so Sarah, I mean, we, we scratched the surface here. One of the things you talked about was puppets, you know, how puppets help young children with their inner picturing. I thought that was beautiful. So, you know, there's so much kind of like how you touched at the beginning, which is that, you know, you're the president of this toy company, you stepped out into something new, but with this purpose of really educating and empowering um, and lifting up parents and families. And you sure have done that with your blog and, um, and through your toy site and with your Sundays with Sarah and on Instagram, you know, and through your book, Nurturing Children and Families. So, so thank you. If, if families are interested in finding more, um, and we've talked quite a bit about it, but um, can you just remind everyone where, uh, where are the places to go? Well, you can go to a Bella Luna Toys is Bella, two L's, bellalunatoys.com. Um, you, from there, you can link to our most recent videos. You can also visit uh, YouTube, the Sunday with Sarah channel to find that uh, library of, I don't know how many videos are on there now. 70, yeah, 80, 90. Awesome. <laughs> 10 years worth. It's fantastic. Uh, and, um, and uh, yeah. And um, if, if anyone has any questions for me, you can email me at Sunday with Sarah at bellalunatoys.com. I love hearing from parents. I love answering your questions. Uh, I, I may even answer your question on a future video. Mm-hmm. And then you're also at sarahbaldwin.com. So there's a lot of places to find you. And those old blog posts are fantastic. Yes, and, yeah. You yeah. Know, and you go through um, snacks and crafts and cooking and, and all sorts of things. So um, you just done such a beautiful job of supporting parents in these years that are hard, but also very beautiful and very special. Um, okay, so Sarah, we always end our podcast at the same way. Um, and I ask the guests to share a favorite outdoor childhood memory. <gasps> oh, oh, so many. Um, but I think I've been listening to your podcast recently, and uh, I, I just, I just think back on the days when I lived in a suburban neighborhood. We'd get home from school, we'd just get on our bikes, and we would be off, and no cell phone, no watch. We just knew when it was time to come home. We would explore the woods and the fields around my house. Um, uh, yeah, those been on my There's mind nothing like just that. that freedom that freedom yeah. that wind yeah. whipping through your hair yeah, and the ability yeah. to go and like you said, you just there's a little bit of a rhythm. You know when you're supposed to come back. Yes, yeah. When you just mm-hmm. I don't know how we we just knew the sun start. I don't know, uh, yeah. but um, yeah, I, I I I feel sad that that too many children today won't have that experience. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe it's coming back. I think things are coming full circle, like you said, that old fashioned, old fashioned toys and people are sort of looking at how things used to be and yes. how can we bridge back to some of the principles? You know, obviously technology serves its purpose, but how can we, how can we, um, you know, walk it back a little bit and find those things that really helped us to thrive as kids and, and that. Um, for me, it's into our adult life as well. So, Sarah, thank you. What well, a thank treat. You. I can't even believe I got to meet you. Oh. How neat. We got our rocker boards downstairs and oh. the silks. And uh, my midwife gave us a, a play stand. So we bought from you the, 
the big clips, you know, yes, to hold another, up the another, another quintessential yeah, Waldorf yeah, toy. There's great but I just still. have to ask before we go, Jenny, who is your midwife in Ann Arbor? Her name is Beth Barbeau. Okay. So, you know, Rahim, Rahima Baldwin Dancy, who wrote You Are Your Child's First Teacher. Mm-hmm. She was my introduction to Waldorf education. That book, oh. You Are Your Child's First Teacher. Mm-hmm. She was a midwife in Ann Arbor. And wow. um, I'm sure uh, my th- midwife knows her. I'm wow. sure. I'm sure. How but special. but that was my, my very first introduction to Waldorf education. Changed my life. Later, Rahima and I became colleagues. We were both, both wow. on the board of directors of an organization called Lifeways and kind of came mm-hmm. full circle. But uh, yeah. I love that. I I love that you you interspersed your story within this podcast because, um, you know, I think there is something special about sometimes there's little moments that change our life. You walk into a Waldorf school, you meet one person, you read one book, you know, you have your child. And sometimes I think parents think, I have this child, my life feels over. I can no longer be an actress. But these are the small steps that we take and, and a beautiful life path that includes our family. And that when things come full circle like that, that's so beautiful, Sarah. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you for your time. Happy 20th anniversary to you. And congrats on all the amazing things that you're doing for the world. And you're doing amazing work too. As I said earlier, I wish that there had been podcasts, this kind of information when I was a young mother. I I love what you're doing. So um, thank you for the work you're doing for educating parents. Thanks, Sarah. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.